eating the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. America's Homegrown Veggie Show is sponsored by Bonnie Plants. Thank you to them. This morning, we are going to talk about wildlife-friendly vegetable gardening with Tammy Hartung. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning. Yes, and uh, I tell, tell everybody to stay tuned because uh, um, a little later, later we're going to be giving away two free copies of Tammy's book. Um, so anyway, uh, Tammy, you have a farm in southern Colorado, um, but also spent a number of years maintaining a property in Denver. And in both places, I guess you met wildlife. So let's start with your general approach to dealing with um, with wildlife and how you choose to deal with different sorts of pests in the garden. Okay, well, we have always had wildlife in in our home place, um, both here at the farm as well as we used to live at an arboretum run by Denver Botanic Gardens, and there was lots of wildlife there too. And we, we really like having the wildlife around. We don't like having a lot of fences in place. And so that means there's everything here. There are bears and mountain lions and deer, as well as lots of small wildlife like hummingbirds and all kinds of, all manner of wild birds and and insects, um, loads of different kinds of pollinators. And so we have to find a way to coexist with them because we do have to earn our livelihood on this farm, and it's a small piece of land, so every inch of it counts. So we don't want them eating everything that we're trying to grow for livelihood, but at the same time, we we want them around and we want to be able to um, not be at war with them all the time, too. So we have found a lot of different ways to coexist with the wildlife of various sorts um, by planting wildlife-friendly habitat here to encourage some types of wildlife and to distract other types of wildlife. We have several remedies that we use when we have wildlife challenges, like deer eating something that is inappropriate for them to eat. And and so on it goes. It's a learning curve. Every year is different depending on how the weather is. That has an influence, too. If there's drought, it makes it tougher because they're trying to find things to eat. Um, and so, you know, that makes it a little more tricky. Yes, and I, I think particularly um, on this end of the country, you know, I don't think we get mountain lions like you guys, but I, I think when you, we've had so much snow this year, and I know that's typical for the Midwest as well, and when you get um, extended periods of snow that last for 8, 10, 12 weeks, it really is difficult for the deer to 
find anything to eat. So I think you will, sometimes you have to make um, a bit of a compromise for the health of the, the wildlife as well. But I'm not really sure what I would do if faced with uh, mountain lions and uh, that type of thing. I mean, goodness, and bear. Um, those are rather large to distract, I would imagine. Well, they are. But, you know, the big cats, the mountain lions and bobcats and so forth, you know, they really... They're meat eaters. They're not interested in the plants. So um, they actually are helpful, and they keep the rabbit population under control. We have a lot of cottontail rabbits and jackrabbits here that can be very damaging to the landscape. So they manage those, um, and they mostly move at night. So it, we have wildlife cameras around, so we know they're here, and sometimes we hear them at night if our bedroom window's open, but we don't ever see them during the day, so they're not scaring us or anything like that. The bears come down during fruit season um, when the, the fruit trees are ripening, and so that can be challenging, and we do have to work with that. We use a deodorized um, blood mill product called Plant Skid, around the base of our orchard trees, and that helps not only distract the bears, but it also helps to get the deer, you know, from, keep the deer from foraging on those trees. And so that's one thing that we can do. We also use a little gadget called a scaredy cat, and it's a motion sensor um, that triggers a big spray of water, and that won't work in the winter, of course, when the water lines would freeze, but we can hook that up to the hose, and if we have problems with wildlife like the deer or or raccoons or whatever, we can set that up where they're problematic, like near the grapevines, and, and it will, when it senses that there's a movement, it will send this big spray of hard water across, and that catches them off guard. They don't like it, so they move on. Oh, that sounds, sounds like a, a beautiful remedy for for them. Um, but I, I made some um, raised beds last week and filled them. Um, I think I filled them probably Thursday or Friday. And yesterday morning, I already noticed that there were little paw prints going across the top. Um, and so is maybe it's a raccoon or a groundhog visiting, but is there a good way to maybe identify uh, critters of different sorts, whether it be deer or raccoons or, or groundhogs or mountain lions, as to which one that you've got? And do you have to get to know their, maybe their general attitudes to plants? Well, one of the best things you can do is um, go to the bookstore and buy an inexpensive um, guide to their tracks. Um, it's just like a folding card that you can buy. It costs 2 or $3, and it has all these different animals, what their tracks look like. And you can look at those little paw prints going across the top of your vegetable garden, and you can say, well, this looks like it's a squirrel, or this is definitely a raccoon, or it has toenails, so maybe it's a fox. Um, and, and so then you can start to narrow down who it is that's visiting um, you can also do the same thing with a guide to scat or their manures, um, and that will tell you, too. If you're not actually seeing the critters, those are the better ways, you know, you can start to identify who is visiting. A wildlife camera is great fun, but they can be a little costly. But if you can get hold of one um, and hang it in a tree or on a fence post nearby your garden, 
then it will take pictures of whoever's visiting whenever they come through, and then you can look at those on your computer and and see pictures of them and see what they're doing, which is a great tool also. You can tell if they're really eating stuff or if they're just moving through or maybe they're hunting mice that might be around in the garden area. So if they're hunting mice, as foxes will do, um, that's useful because mice can eat a lot of squash and pumpkins, you know, so I'm happy enough to have the foxes taking care of the mouse problem. Yeah, well, that that sounds an ideal way of, of dealing um, with different things. So it's a little bit like then IPM with um, insects. That the best way of, of dealing with um, uh, an animal of any description is to find out what it is and what it's doing before you attempt to treat it. Would that Absolutely. be right? Absolutely. Yeah. Because sometimes we see them and we assume that they're doing harm, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're just in the place, you know, and, and they're not harming anything at all. And so if that's the case, we don't really need to address it. You know, we can just coexist with them and enjoy watching them out our window or so forth. I, I love the idea of the nighttime camera. I think that would be a great thing to to play with, if nothing else, to see what are, what arrives. Yeah, and and are there some animals um, that are not exactly useful for pollination, um, or or particularly good guys, but aren't bad guys either? They're kind kind of what what you would call just kind of maybe passers by or or attendant, but without doing good or bad in either direction. Well, there are some that don't tend to be too interested in things one way or the other, but. By and large, I think that everybody's doing something. So we have hummingbirds, you know, they're in the gardens and they're pollinating anything that is bright red or pink or deep purple in color. The butterflies are the same way. So we want them around. We have other critters, like we have tree squirrels here, and and I get calls all the time about, well, the tree squirrels are digging around in the garden and I think they're going to eat my vegetables, but they're really just burying nuts in the ground, you know, for winter later on. And they're not damaging anything in terms of the current plants that are there necessarily. And it took me a long time to realize that because I would see them rummaging around in the garden and thinking, what in the world are they up to? But um, they are just kind of there. Um, so that's that's not too much of a problem. They're just kind of hanging out. Um, they do get into more trouble when there's fruit on the fruit trees or if there's corn in the garden and it's ripe and ready to pick. So then the little scaredy cat gadget is useful to get the squirrels to behave. Um, there's there's uh, things like frogs and garter snakes. You know, those critters tend to be around in the garden and we think that they're just there, but they are actually doing us good too. You know, toads and frogs eat a lot of slugs, and so that makes them very useful in the garden. Garter snakes are, again, hunters, and they're hunting mice or large crickets and grasshoppers. So even though we might think that they're not doing much, they're just hanging out, they're probably doing some good. And I think, you know, there, there is a healthy way of looking at all the wildlife out there. Because I, I think, with it, particularly if you're part of moving to a rural area, you, you enjoy watching it. And then, but then people tend to freak out when it's doing something to the plants or the garden in general. And so, so we need to, would I be right, we need to improve our, 
um, general attitude towards, well, this is what you moved here for, um, find a way of living with it rather than trying to hurt it? I think that is very true. Um, sometimes we have to be more clever than the wildlife that, it, that lived there first. One of the things that we've done here is we've planted hedgerows that are intended to be for the wildlife. So there are plants in those hedgerows that provide food sources for them or places for them to raise their young. Um, sometimes we put bird baths or water supplies in and amongst the hedgerows. That way there is something for the wildlife that li lived here before we did for them to make as a part of their home, but it keeps them out of the plants that I need them to leave alone, so my vegetables and fruits and so forth. So, so they find those hedgerows just that little bit more maybe attractive than, than your squash or the green beans. Exactly, and not only that, but the hedgerows are good for us too because they provide us with some privacy from our neighbors and they act as uh, wind breaks and they act also to filter out dust from dirt roads and and noise and so forth. So it helps everybody to have yeah. those planted around. And they don't have to be really long. They can be short little, you know, 20-foot long stretches of a few shrubs or bushes and some perennials. And, 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 and it's just very, very attractive that way as well. But, you know, we need to go for our first commercial break here, but we will be back to more with T Tammy Hartung talking about wildlife-friendly vegetable gardening on America's homegrown veggies. We'll be back in just a moment. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Well, 
Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpage. You can find them on iTunes and Stitches. This morning, we are talking with Tammy Hartung about wildlife-friendly vegetable garden. And stay tuned because somewhere in this segment, we are going to be giving away one of these books. Um, and this morning, though, um, Tammy, we covered some of the basics of wildlife that we encounter. And uh, we talked a little during the break um, about kind of the deer problem and things like that. But let's go down to the smaller problems first um, and start with worms and ants and things like that. What do they do to the soil and how can we maybe attract them without being overwhelmed by them, particularly the ant side? <laughs> Well, we definitely want the worms in the garden soil because worms are great at decomposing organic matter and making it into usable nutrition for the plants. So they are definitely our allies, and keeping them in the soil um, is, is a wonderful thing. So if you find earthworms in the garden, you should just let them be because they're doing all good work for you there. Ants are aerating the soil, but they can, there can be too many ants. <laughs> we have so many ants on our farm that sometimes I have to remind myself that there's a place even for ants in the world. Um, but one of the things that can be very helpful for managing those kinds of critters and keeping them in, in more of a balance is to encourage wild birds. Wild birds, depending on what kind they are, will make a portion of their diet on insects and on ants. So we have these birds called curved-billed thrashers, which are in the um, mockingbird family. They're great, fun, social birds, and 65% of their diet is insects. And so they go around all over the farm, and they forage the ants that they find, as well as other types of insects, they pretty much keep everything in check so we don't have too many problems. So you might try putting a bird bath somewhere in the landscape or a bird feeder in the landscape, something that's going to attract some wild birds into the landscape. doesn't have to necessarily be right in your food garden, but somewhere in your yard so that those birds are around, and they will take care of a lot of insect problems for you, not just ants, but grasshoppers and beetles and any number of, of problematic pest insects. Because I, I know that sometimes ants I've noticed underneath a plant, and I don't think they actually eat the roots of the plant, but they seem to destroy the, the roots somehow. Well, what ants are really good at is farming aphids, and aphids are um, an insect that can be damaging to the plants. They live on the tender growth of plants, and they can suck the juices out of the foliage of the plants. And ants really, really love the sweet honeydew that aphids excrete, and so they take good care of the aphids. They farm them, I guess you'd say, like we farm cattle or goats, and they keep them all protected from other beneficial insects that might want to eat the aphids and so forth. So the ants are doing that, and in doing that, they're fostering a pest 
in the aphids that can be damaging your plants. So it's not the ants themselves that are causing the damage, but they are in a roundabout way contributing to it. And and so it, apart from attracting birds to help with the ant problem, and particularly fire, fire ants, are there any other remedies, maybe natural remedies that we can employ? Yes, there are things that we can use. You can um, buy a ant bait that is made with boric acid, which is appropriate for organic gardeners. However, it is it does need you do need to follow the label directions in using it because it can be harmful to pets. But it is um, a bait that they are attracted to, and they carry it back to their ant hills, and then. It, it's toxic to them and and that will kill them. So that's one thing that you can do. You can use diatomaceous earth sprinkled around the base of your plants. That is not harmful to other pets or children because ants are soft-bodied insects and this would hold true for all soft-bodied insects. The diatomaceous earth is like really coarse, sharp bits and when they crawl over it or through it, it cuts their body and, and it will take care of them in that respect. So there's some, some things you can do that are organic methods um, that will deal with it if you have a really bad problem. But make sure that you pay attention first before you make the decision and see whether or not you have a really big problem or whether it's just that there's a few ants around or or other insects around, and maybe the birds will just take care of it and you won't have to address it at all. Okay. Um, and as I say, I know that I've seen some ant hills that are enormous. Um, but uh, and, and as far as attracting good wildlife, when it, I've just made us say these new raised beds, and I filled them with compost from a commercial source, bulk compost. How am I going to maybe attract earthworms into that sort of mix um is there a way that you can um will just planting the the beds attract the wildlife in general or the the earthworms and all those good good things into the soil well eventually they'll find their way there for sure but you could buy some red wiggler worms and introduce them into those beds once the weather is is warm and settled and they and they will populate those beds and so you could do it that way. But there's a lot of other kinds of uh, beneficial wildlife, too, that you want to encourage in your garden. You want to make sure that you're attracting pollinators to the garden um, because if you don't have pollinators, you're not going to have very good harvest from your food garden. So bumblebees and honeybees and any number of, of different kinds of native bees, there are native beetles that are pollinating beetles. Um, There are even wasps are helpful in pollinating. So you want to encourage those creatures to be around. You can keep some shallow saucers of water around and that will provide them with a water supply. That's true also for butterflies, which are good pollinators. They need a water source, but it needs to be very shallow. So that would be something you could do. Um, you can also attract other kinds of beneficial wildlife in um, the form of toads and frogs by putting some kind of a, a upturned pot that might have a chip out of the rim in a little toad house. Um, toads like a moist, dark place to hide during the heat of the day. And so if they have that, 
they'll hang out there, and then during the night and cooler times of the day, they'll be foraging in the garden, eating a lot of pest insects, especially slugs and, and ants and so forth in the garden. So all these creatures, if you just do a little something to make them welcome, make sure they have a water supply, make sure they have a little house perhaps, or a feeder in the case of wild birds, they will find it and they'll and they'll come and then they'll help you out with some of the pest problems that yeah. you have. And, and I, I think putting particularly wildflowers um, around, I'm going to maybe make a, a wildflower border, but I think this is a good time to give, give away the first of the free books that we've got. Um, if you would like a copy of Tammy's book, The Wildlife Friendly Vegetable Garden, send an email to kt. C-O-P-S-E-Y at AOL dot com saying my garden is friendly to wildlife except to and then you're going to put in what your worst pest is. Um, so send an email to K-T-C-O-P-S-E-Y at AOL dot com with my garden is friendly to wildlife except to and the first one to get to me will get a copy of the, the book. Um, so having got that done, um, Tammy, you mention cover crops in your book as being a great way to introduce nutrition. Um, can that be used in, on a small scale, like a raised, uh, raised bed, a four-by-eight raised bed in a community garden? Oh, sure it can. You can plant um, a, a simple cover crop of oats, and that's an annual cover crop. So that works really well in a vegetable bed that you're planning to plant with vegetables the next growing season. So just um, go to the the feed store, or you can even buy them at the garden center. Buy some oats seed and sprinkle it around in your little raised bed. Rake it in just lightly into the soil, and and then keep some moisture on it. it. Doesn't have to be soggy, but the ground needs to stay moist, and they'll sprout within about a week. And then at some point before they go to flowering seed you'll want to um, turn them in. So if it's a raised bed, you'll have to do that by hand. But if it's um, a bed that you can run a rototiller through, you can just rototill them in. And that's a nice way to put organic material back into the soil, improve the nutrition in the soil. But it also acts as this cover crop when you're not using the soil to actively grow your, your food plants. And that will keep the soil from blowing away. It also provides great habitat for beneficial insects, which you want to have in your garden. So it's going to be multi-phase in terms of all the good that those cover crops can do. And so would that be true of any of the the grains uh, that you pick up? Um, or, or could you maybe use alfalfa or something like that? Well, if you use something like alfalfa or clover, those are perennial cover crops. So those are really good for areas of the garden that are going to be walking paths or are going to be kept fallow and unused for a long period of time, more than a gardening season. Um, but they are they have more extensive root systems, and so those are are better for those longer term cover crop situations or for pathways and and so forth. Um, winter rye is another good annual one besides oats that you can use for areas that you want to plant each gardening season, um, just to you know fill in the off season with. 
And so, so you, you typically plant, plant these um, late se- season towards the fall, let them get so high, and then they survive the winter and you chop, chop them down the following year, or do they just get felled by frost and, and the amount of snow that we get? They will just get cold by the frost and the snow if it's an annual cover crop but the roots will still be there even though they're not living roots and so they're still working to decompose during the winter when they're covered with snow or rain and that's putting organic material into the soil that's going to be useful nutrition to your yeah. garden plants I, the I following think, yeah. year. I, th- I think it's a great idea to do that. Um, but, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break, but I want to remind you that you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show, and we'll be back with more with uh, Tammy Hartung talking about creating wildlife-friendly vegetable gardens, and we've got one more book to give away in the next segment. So stay tuned to America's Homegrown Veggies. We'll be back in just a moment. Quick Steaks, that's Q-U-I-K Steaks, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Steaks, Q-U-I-K Steaks the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking with Tammy Hartung, and we're talking about the wildlife-friendly vegetable garden. And don't forget, in a few minutes, we're going to be giving another copy of the book away. Um, So, Tammy, we talked a little about the environment for a healthy ecosystem that's got... um, 
a balanced approach to it. So let's uh, maybe move on to what would be called maybe problematic uh, wildlife that comes into the garden. Um, let's start with the smaller guys, uh, the raccoons and the groundhogs that can get over fences and into the garden and cause havoc um, <laughs> by dig- digging underneath and Lord knows what. Um, so what, what, what can we do to, to address that type of problem? Well, with those kinds of critters, um, when they see that there is something in the vegetable garden that is ready to pick that is just irresistible, they can be very challenging because they don't give up very easily. And sometimes what you have to do is actually come up with a very strict plan. So that might include making a screen or cover for the crop that they can't get into with the chipmunks and the groundhogs and those kinds of animals. You may have to actually buy some wire mesh screening and create a a dome cover that can be um, staked down so that they cannot access those plants. With With raccoons, you might be able to be successful by using something like a, tr- a battery-operated transistor radio that's tucked into a grapevine just when the grapes smell perfectly ripe and, and they're determined they're going to forage them. Um, they, if you turn that on to like a talk radio show, it's sort of like people, you know, hanging out there. So they're, they're not going to come around if they think there are people hanging out there. That's something that works pretty well. Scarecrows are underrated. They they should be used more, but the trick to making a scarecrow work in the garden is being able to move it around. So when you make your scarecrow, maybe sit it in a chair, a lawn chair, or a wheelbarrow or something that you can move it around in the garden so it's in a different place each day. And, and that's, again, the same thing as a person. So they tend to not want to be around if there are people around. There's different things you can do that way. Yes. Um, I would never have thought of scarecrows. I I know in the UK they put them out at the beginning of the year, I guess, for um, when they're they're planting things uh, to try and and ease the the pressure of birds on the the new seed or or whatever. Um, But, uh, yes, uh, um, and, uh, you know, these smaller guys, they they really do cause uh, problems, but... Deer are a problem also. They're all over the country. And from what I can gather, um, the only thing that really stops them is a 10-foot fence, which is expensive and out of most people's budget. Um, and we, as we want to be maybe more wildlife-friendly, what type of things are attractive to deer and what type of things can we do to maybe make the landscape in general and the vegetable garden less attractive? Well... Before you resort to putting up a fence, you can try a few other things. One thing that happens with deer is that they're very, they're creatures of habit. They follow the same path each day. So if you can do something that disrupts that path, um, then they'll leave those plants that are along that path alone because they've found a new way. So using strong scented items, they have a keen sense of smell, and they don't like things that smell very strong, like lavender or sage or lemony, citronella types of smells. 
So you might be able to plant some of those plants in and amongst your vegetable garden, plant some lavender or some sage in and amongst your vegetable garden. And because they're moving through, they're brushing against the foliage and releasing the volatile oils on the foliage, and they get that smell, they just keep moving because they don't like it. Um, If you don't have the plants in the garden, you can take some cloth bits or some soap that smells strongly of lavender and put it in a nylon stocking and tie it nearby the plants that you're trying to protect. And and after about a week or so, you know, they, they've they changed their routine. They've, they're going a different way because they're avoiding that scent. And so that can help. Another thing that we use here on the farm very successfully, and a farmer told us about it many years ago, is yellow caution tape. And this is the ugly bright yellow and black um, plastic tape that they use around crime scenes. You can buy it on the roll at the hardware store. And if you tie it to some stakes around your strawberry bed when the strawberries are coming on, um, it moves in the slightest breeze, and the deer just don't like that. It's very unsettling to them, and they will not bother your strawberries or your fruit trees or whatever it is. So the, the key to making all these things very effective is to put them in place when the harvest is coming up, when things are getting close to being ripe. And as soon as you're done picking, take them down so that they don't get used to them always being there because then they'll just ignore them. Those are some things that work very nicely. Yes. Um, Let's give away the second copy um, of your book, uh, The Wildlife Friendly Vegetable Gardener. Um, And this time send an email to ktcopsey at aol.com with to keep deer out, I, and then put in your famous remedy for keeping deer out of the garden. So um, send an email to ktcopsey at aol.com with your favorite deer remedy. And the first one will get Tammy's great book um, on how to be friendly to wildlife. And I love the idea of lavender. I mean, that's so attractive anyway. Why wouldn't you put that in the garden? Um, But as far as fences, I've been told that although the... um, a 10-foot fences, they can't get over it. Smaller fences, if there is a something on the other side of it or they've got trees to, so they haven't exactly got a nice clear run to the fence, um, can be just as effective. Um, do, you, do you know anything about that? Yeah, that's true. They won't jump a fence if they can't see what's on the other side of it because they don't know what they're jumping into. So if it's a fence, you know, like chain-link fences, you can run ribbon this plastic ribbon through it um so that it's solid it's a solid looking fence or if you've got trees planted or vines that can grow on the fence i've got a fence around my salad lettuce one part of my food garden because they just would not leave that alone and there was no other solution that was working and i've planted concord grapes on that fence in part to make it more attractive to me but in part because now the deer, when those vines are there, it's dissettling, and so they don't jump over it. And it's just a five-foot fence, oh. but it's enough. 
Yeah, so so it doesn't necessarily... And, and I think 10-foot fences, if you've got a prize garden, maybe. But most of us really, I think, think a smaller fence is much more user-friendly, um, particularly in subdivisions and things, things like that. Um, but let, let's move on to... Um, the birds, we love birds, we put bird feeders out, we put water out for the birds and then maybe the raspberry crop or something like that is coming ripe and the birds find that just as attractive. Um, how, do we, how do we attract them in one way because they're beautiful but keep them out, out of the berry patch maybe just when the blueberries are coming ripe? There's two things I would suggest. The first is plant a decoy crop that's going to come ripe about the same time as your raspberries that the birds will find even more irresistible. And sunflowers are just right in that category. I plant a wall of sunflowers. I select different varieties that are different sizes and different size flower heads so that the little birds have, you know, small flowered sunflowers with tinier seeds and the big birds like the blackbirds um, they get the big mama and the Ling's gray stripe sunflowers that have great big heads and, and larger size seeds. And those come ripe just as my raspberries are really going to town. Um, but the birds can't resist the sunflowers and they don't bother the raspberries. Another thing that you can do is put up what's called bird flash tape. And it's a ribbon. It's about a half an inch um, to three-quarters of an inch wide. It's silver on one side and red on the other, and it's shiny. And you just tie it over your, um, on the top of your raspberry bushes. Just tie a string of it across the top. Or if you've got a peach tree, you can just wrap a, a ring of it around here and there on the tree. And it moves in the slightest breeze and it's very unsettling to the birds they can't quite figure out how to land on the tree or the raspberry bushes because this ribbon is reflecting the sunlight and it's it's just kind of makes it hard for them to judge and so they they just leave it alone as soon as you're finished with your fruit harvest though the same thing is the caution tape you need to take that ribbon down so that they don't get used to it they don't figure out a way to get accustomed to it and ignore it in the future year. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, and what about maybe squirrels? Um, they are, again, they're, they're interesting to watch, and they are crafty little blighters, um, particularly on bird feeders when they, when they want to get. Um, what, what sort of damage can they do in the garden, and how would we remedy that? Well, the squirrels are mostly going to be after things like the pumpkins and the corn and and the fruits that come later in the gardening season, and they can be tricky to discourage. Um, one thing that does seem to work, that bird flash tape seems to discourage them. Um, we also use crushed red pepper. Um, for areas like in the strawberry patch where they're on the ground and they're wanting to root around and harvest my strawberries before I get to them. So I sprinkle crushed, dried red peppers around in the garden just, you know, on top of and, and underneath the strawberry plants. They get that on their feet and they don't like it. So that's something that you can do to help. Um, there is that product plant skid when all else fails 
Um, I I do use that. It's a deodorized blood meal, and the squirrels, like so many other kinds of wildlife, they can smell it, and it's it signifies death to them. So they don't want to go anywhere near where that's been applied. But it's deodorized to humans, so we can't smell it, and it, it's not offensive. The nice thing I like about that particular product is that it doesn't wash away in the rain, so you don't have to keep reapplying it like so many um, of those scent products. You know, you have to keep applying them every mm. time it rains or snows. This lasts for six months. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Well, I, I would imagine that's a, a, a great product, um, you know, particularly if it, if it works and you don't need to apply it all the time. But we need to take our final commercial break here, but come back to, to listen to more about Tammy's book and, and where you can get it and the wildlife-friendly vegetable gardener after these messages. Quick Stakes. That's Q-U-I-K Stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow Bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's FoodLink was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hope you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking to Tammy Hartung about the wildlife friendly vegetable gardener, and the book is on the market right now. Is that correct, Tammy? That is correct. It came out in December, so it's easy to find in the bookstores. Um, and of course, it can be found on um, online at places like Amazon and all that. Lot. But how about book signings? If somebody wanted to maybe um, get a signed copy of the book, uh, do you do book signings in the area? I do book signings occasionally at some conferences, and sometimes I'm at a garden center where they're selling the books. 
And so then, of course, we could sign books. People can also mail their books to me if they really badly want it signed, and I'll sign it and mail it back to them. You know, I, I know you've got a great website. DesertCanyonFarm.wordpress.com. Okay. okay. Um, and it, it looks just a beautiful area um, that, that you're at. Um, and do you have um, – do you do any, any talks at conferences or, or anything like that around the area? Yeah, we we have some garden shows that happen in the spring, and I'm there doing talks. And also, we have our spring open farm days on the weekends of May when we open our farm to the public. And we have a whole bunch of workshops going on then, and people can visit the farm and, and attend a workshop or do a little shopping in our farm stand. And, and are those dates on the website? Yes. They are. If you go to the classes and events page of the website, you'll find all the schedule listed there. Okay. And if somebody wanted maybe um, to to invite you to one of their um, events, um, particularly if they're they're in the um, Colorado area, um, is there a way maybe to contact you on your webpage? No, but they can mail um, inf- you know mail me a letter at twelve seventy Field Avenue in Canyon City, Colorado, 81212, and, and then we can talk about what their event is. Okay, um, and, and it, this is certainly a, a beautiful book, and part of the attraction um, of the wildlife-friendly vegetable gardener to me were all the illustrations. Um, these, aren't, these aren't photographs. These are actual um, hand-drawn illustrations. Is that right? Yes, they're lovely. They've been um, done by a woman named Holly Bimba, and they're very whimsical and fun. She took pictures, or I sent her pictures of things here at the farm that were photographs, and she took them and made them into beautiful, fun illustrations for the book. And it is it is great. It's kind of like an adult storybook in a way. <laughs> And, you know, I say, I, I, the resources at the back, I think, are, are terrific as well because you've got kind of almost a, if this is your problem, this is the remedy. Right. There's a nice quick, quick reference chart there so that you don't have to necessarily read the whole book to find the particular problem that you're experiencing and what page to look at um, so that you can quickly come up with a plan. But, and, and, and a good part of the book um, is how to make your, your property um, friendly to more, uh, more diverse um, wildlife out there. It's not just there's a small por- there's the portion on, on excluding it, but a lot of it is more um, making everything wildlife friendly in the garden. Yes, because the whole point is that wildlife is going to be there no matter how hard you try to get rid of them. And so you might as well find a way to um, welcome them and enjoy them being around, and at the same time, though, not compromising your ability to have a nice garden. And, you know, I just say there's, uh, there's fostering wildlife with hed- hedgerows, um, which, which I think is a great idea. What type of um, maybe shrubs would attract bird, birds and, and wildlife in general? You said you had a hedgerow around certain areas. Um, would things like uh, maybe um, elderberries and things like that work? Elderberries, chokecherries, plums, those are all good choices. Lilacs are wonderful. 
Um, you, you want a combination of things that not only produce berries and fruit, but have flowers because the flowers will attract the pollinators. So any kinds of flowering trees and shrubs, vines can be in your hedgerow. Those are all wonderful, wonderful options. I have hawthorn trees in my hedgerows, and um, there's roses, you know, shrubby roses that are great additions. You can even mix some perennials in there, like echinacea flowers or black-eyed Susans, because those bloom for a long time, and the flowers attract pollinators. The seeds provide food for the wild birds. And, and so what type of thing maybe would um, give them shelter um, out, out there in a, in a hedgerow? Does it have to be a densely packed hedgerow or can it be bare in the winter or should it be evergreen? No, it can be any and all of the, the above. Um, it can be an informal planting that's kind of loose. Um, or it can be very dense. It can include evergreens. That's all of those things. There will be different kinds of wildlife that will be attracted to it. And we have these mother deer that kind of tuck their fawns in the spring into our hedgerow, and then they leave them there in hiding while they're off foraging and eating for periods of time. And we get to peek out our windows and see those little baby fawns curled up very quiet until their mothers come back for them. So you never know what's going to find its way into your hedgerow, but whatever kinds of trees and shrubs you plant there, um, there will be wildlife that will be able to utilize them. Oh, I mean, that had to be so special when you see the, the little fawns curled up. Um, and, but you will also you, you talk about the, the butterflies and, and attracting butterflies. Um, and I noticed that you've got a butterfly house in there. Um, I've, I've heard a couple of different, I guess, theories about butterfly houses, you know, with the little slits in them and whatever, um, that they don't work. Is there a way of maybe making something that does work to, to, for the butterfly? I think if you just have some flowering um, plants around planted, you can have a butterfly house, but you don't have to have one because if you've got buddleias or lilacs or um, desert bird of paradise or any number of flowering trees and shrubs that have uh, flattish kinds of flowers and they have bright colored flowers, so yellows, pinks, purples, those all are going to attract butterflies and moths. And so those, those things just being planted around will provide homes for those butterflies as well as nectar for them. And then you'll also have caterpillars, though, because the butterflies <laughs> lay eggs that make caterpillars. So you're going to need some plants that are okay for the caterpillars to eat. Things like fennel is a good choice. Um, Dill is another one because they eat the leaves, but they leave the seed heads alone, and most of us want the seed heads for making pickles. So those kinds of things will feed the caterpillars that will make more butterflies, which will pollinate more plants in your garden. So it's this big, glorious circle of events that happens, and you don't want to exclude any one part of it. Oh, and, and I think, you know, people sometimes seem to forget that the caterpillars are um, an essential part of their lifetime. Um, and so they, they, they want to attract butterflies, but they kind of get rid of all the caterpillars, which is kind of um, forgetting your fourth grade science here. It is. And so we have to rethink that. It just means we have to be mindful of the process. 
and and get get to to know the whole life cycle of um, any critter that's out there. I think. Right, exactly. Yeah, um, and and one little se- section that that you've got is um, coexisting with wasps and and bees and things like that. And we all know that they're great for pollinating and that for a healthy lifestyle, but they're not awfully great for humans. Um, how, how do we coexist with um, a wasp that really wants to put its nest in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can. If, it's, if the nest is in the garden, that can be very problematic. You want to discourage that. Like I have them, they always want to put their nests in my garden clothesline pole. So I've actually taken duct tape and taped over the ends of the clothesline poles for a little while, and that discourages them. You can take also, um, there's little jars that you can buy at the garden center if you want a fancy one, or you can just use a fruit jar that you've tied a wire around the rim to, to make a handle and put a little bit of fruit juice in that and then hang that away from areas where you don't want the, the wasps to be. So away from your patio area, away from your garden bench and so forth. And that will keep the wasps occupied elsewhere so that they're not in areas that are problematic for people. Oh, um, and I think we, we had a, a little wasp that was trying to make its nest or might have actually got its nest among the Japanese knotweed um, underneath the shed. Um, is it likely that he'll come back next year? No, they only use those nests one, for one year. So if you go out there before it gets warm and you just take that nest down, um, they won't come back and reuse it. They might come back to the same area if it's still there and build next to it oh. um, a new nest. So if you can just get rid of the nest, um, then there's not an, in, uh, an inspiration to relocate there again. <laughs> and, and hang the honey jars a, a little further away from, yes, exactly. from the shed. Yeah, I, That's a great idea. Um, but we're, we're close to the end of the show here, Tammy. Um, I, I've been just so inspired by your ideas of co- in, coexisting with, with wildlife. Well, thank you. Yes. Um, and, you know, and I, I think to say being able to coexist with, that's why we go out to the country. That's why we enjoy the countryside. Um, and you and you have to learn how to live with it. You can't just zap everything um, along the way just because you don't like it. I think that's true. And also we want our children to grow up with a respect and an understanding of nature. And the only way they get that understanding is to experience it and to have it around them. So that's true for us as adults also. So yeah. I think that um, that coexisting and finding ways to be okay with having wildlife in our space is a lesson that we teach ourselves that uh, will serve us well our whole lives. Yes, and uh, you know, uh, to me, it's part of the magic of living um, in in a more rural area. Um, I've, I have deer just this morning, um, and I, I think the idea of, of just simple things like lavender. Um, which I know deer don't like, but I never thought of putting a little hedge of lavender around the property to discourage them by by them uh, brushing against it. Um, But but we are right at the end of the show. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show this morning. Thank you, Bonnie Plants, for your sponsorship of the show. Uh, Thank you, Tammy. Um, You've been a great guest. Um, Everyone, we will be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week, everyone and join me back here next Saturday.
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. When gardening is part of your life, it brings so much. Healthy eating, the freshest, most local produce, and playing in the dirt. At BonniePlants.com, you'll find all you need to succeed. When you grow bonnie veggie and herb plants in beds or containers, you'll know where your food comes from. Homegrown veggies and herbs ready for cooking, eating, and enjoying. And you did it. So get growing with Bonnie Plants.